Thanks, Brian. Well, as uh, Brian mentioned, my name's Matt. It's good to see you here this morning. If I haven't met you before, I would love to meet you. There's uh, so many new faces here every week, and I, I don't get to meet half of you. I don't know what it is. I think some of you are a bit shy, but you don't want to come up and talk to the pastor. It's all right. I won't preach at you like I do from up here. We'll just talk about stuff. So I'd love to meet you if you're new. A um, couple of quick things before we get into it. I just wanted to mention that um, Anchor Church is an independent church. We're not a part of any denomination. We started this thing. Um, and in fact, one of the guys who really helped get this thing off the ground is back from New York, Joel. He, he really helped us make this church what it is. Um, and we're an independent church. We're not affiliated with any denomination, but that comes with some drawbacks. Um, one of the things that uh, is an obstacle for us is for me to get a marriage license to be able to marry people. We need to be part of some network that offers that. The government won't give a license to just any individual crazy church. And so we've been exploring the possibility of partnering with a network called the Christian Community Churches Australia, or CCCOST. Uh, Monday night, Brad and I attended a board meeting with uh, CCOST and presented to them what we're doing and, and questioned about whether or not we could join their network. The purpose for that would be to give me a marriage license so I can marry people when they want to get married one day. Um, it allows us to have things like safe ministry framework and gives us some permission to go into schools and teach scripture if we want to do that in the future as well as all, all, all of the things, insurance, discounts, all that kind of stuff. So on uh, Thursday the 7th of August, we're attending their convening conference and they're going to take a vote as to whether or not they will accept us into their network. So I just flag that with you guys for your prayers. It looks like it's going to be a really beneficial partnership for us. Um, helpful in many ways. So if you could pray about that one for us, and if you've got any questions about what that affiliation looks like, then please feel free to come and ask at any point. I also just wanted to echo what Brian said this morning about getting involved in our gospel communities. We've got um, so many people that come on a Sunday morning, and we've got, honestly, we've got no idea who some of you guys are. And if you don't fill out one of those cards, you leave, and, and we've got no way of connecting with you. So if you've been coming, and I get that some of you guys are still figuring out whether you're not going to call Anchor Home or, or stay, but we would love you to get involved in one of our community groups. So I just want to echo what Brian has said this morning in that. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to read the scriptures together. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and take it out to Luke chapter 5. We're continuing our series called Good News to the Poor. And we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Uh, so we're looking at Luke 5, 17. If you, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one as a gift this morning. We've got some on our welcome desk. You can grab one and take it home and read it because we believe this book transforms lives. So I'm going to pray. We look at this word together. So join me as I pray. Father God, we thank you that you speak to us. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in the person of Jesus and the pages of the scriptures. And we ask this morning as we hear your word, we pray that you would still our hearts. Change us by your spirit. Help us to see our need for forgiveness this morning. And help us to receive what Jesus offers. We pray it in his name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 5, 17. This is what it says. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. These guys had come a long way. Some of them traveled a fair distance to come and be in this town, in this house. The power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. 
But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And when the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he said to them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized all of them. And they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things this day. Two weeks ago, we had a young man in our um, gathering. His name was Jake. He was visiting with his family. He was part of the youth ministry that I'd been a part of in the western suburbs of Sydney for the last 10 years. And 12 months ago, almost exactly, Jake was involved in a, a very serious dirt bike accident. He was riding on a property just past Lithgow. He's a very good dirt bike rider. He um, hit a tabletop jump. They think he went about nine meters in the air landed on his neck and the motorbike landed on top of him. He broke his neck at C1, C2, right up the top of his neck. By chance, one of his friends was riding past and saw him there, rushed to get help, told people to go call the ambulance, call the property owners, and they came and they began to perform CPR on Jake for 40 minutes. He wasn't breathing. 40 minutes they did CPR. Westpac Rescue helicopter came, lifted him out, took him to Westmead Children's Hospital, where he would lie in ICU for up to about three and a half, four months. We went in to visit Jake in hospital and he has tubes coming out everywhere and his neck's been braced up and I'm sitting there and I'm watching his dad, Sarkis, and his mum, Dragana, and I'm thinking, what is going through their heads right now? What, what, do, you, what do they want? And I'm looking at his sister, Missy, and I'm thinking, well, what, what, is, what does she want right now? They want healing. They want their, their son to be able to walk out of hospital. They want Jake back like he was before. I've got a picture of Jake on the screen for you now, hopefully. Do we have that picture? There it is. This is Jake in one of his better moments as he was learning. He had to learn to breathe again. He'd um, been training, breathing for about half an hour, and then they'd stick that chew back in his throat, which assisted his breathing they fed him through his nose. They put screws into his skull and they put that halo around his head and it was attached to a brace around his chest so that he couldn't move his neck at all. And our church prayed like crazy. We had a 24-7 prayer roster happening that in 15-minute blocks, someone was praying for Jake all day, every day. And all of us, his family, his church family, his youth group wanted the same thing. We wanted him to walk again. Well, this morning we've been introduced to a man who was paralyzed. He's got a story just like Jake. He's got a family. He's got friends. He, he's got hopes and dreams that have been dashed and shattered because of what's happened to him. But thankfully, this guy's got four friends that care enough about him to get him to an opportunity where he would be healed and restored and bring hope to this man. Verse 18, this is what it says. And behold, some men 
four of them were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst of Jesus. These men are desperate to get their friend to Jesus, but when they get there that day, they encounter an obstacle, and that is that the crowd is too big. The crowd is thick, the house is full, people won't move aside, and they just they cannot get to Jesus. But it doesn't stop them, right? They don't go, ah, oh, I'm really sorry, man. We'll just have to come back tomorrow and try again. No, they don't do that. Instead, they go up on the roof. Now, we picture you know, housing with roofs that are A-frame with tiles all over them. That's what's what our houses look like by and large. But in the first century, most likely, uh, most of the houses had flat roofs. And on the side of the house was either a ladder that was permanently attached there or a set of stairs. And so these men, they climb this ladder or this set of stairs and they get up on the roof and they begin to rip the roof tiles off and whatever other materials are there that are holding the roof together. Now imagine Jesus, he's standing in the room and he's teaching and, and all of a sudden everyone's like, what is, what, what's that on the roof? Can you guys hear that? And, and there's dust that starts falling from the roof and all of a sudden chunks of the roof start being pulled apart and, and you see these faces peering in through the roof. Now, I don't know if Jesus just kept teaching through it or if he stopped and waited, but eventually the hole is so big that they can see an object begin to get lowered through and it comes down and it lands on the floor and the crowd has to push back. They've got no choice. Otherwise, they get a paralyzed guy in their head. And there he lands on the floor, right in front of Jesus. You know, these four friends, they don't really care about the cost of the house. I mean, imagine what the owner's thinking. He's like, come on, who is going to pay for my roof? Who is going to fix this? They don't care. They don't care about the cost. They're not concerned about the owner. They don't, they don't care about the risk. I mean, this is a risk, right? Lowering a paralyzed guy on a mat through the roof would take some navigation and pulleys and, right? I mean, he could fall and seriously hurt himself, but they think to themselves, you know what? Doing something is probably better than nothing right now. They don't care about what the religious people will think of them. The religious people have traveled from all over the place to come to this house on this night to hear Jesus. There are some really important people there in that room and they don't care what they think. They're just desperate to get their friend to Jesus. They don't care about being polite. All of these people that were lined up at the door wouldn't, wouldn't open a path for them. They just pushed their way. They forced their way to Jesus because they were willing to do whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. Now, friends, I, I want our church to embody that kind of attitude. I want our church to be a church that is willing to do whatever it takes to see our city transformed. A church would be willing to do whatever it takes to see people come to Jesus and be healed and forgiven and restored. Cost won't stop us. Being polite won't stop us. The fact that it's a risk won't stop us. Whatever people think of us won't stop us because we're willing to do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. I remember a story that um, a guy called Craig Grishel told. He's pastor of um, what is probably America's fastest growing and largest church. Um, they, in America, they record all the church size numbers so they can put whoever's on top. But he chooses not to report his numbers because he doesn't want his church to think they're big. But chances are he's got the biggest, fastest growing church in all of America. And he was telling this story one day when um, they, they've been really into um, 
doing church online really paved the way for online church and video um, services and all this kind of stuff. One of the first churches to do uh, a satellite service where the preaching was on video and all that kind of stuff. Really cutting edge innovation. And he said that their leadership decided one day that what they would do was purchase all of the Google keywords that were associated with pornography websites. And so they went and they, they purchased all of these, these keywords and they paid Google to put their website right up at the top. When any of these words were searched for, their website hit the top. And what they did was they had this website that looked much like a porn website, but had all of these videos on there that were videos about Jesus and about porn addiction and about freedom that Jesus brings to all of these things. He said, you know, if you want to reach people that no one is reaching, you've got to do things that no one's doing. Now I've got to tell you, that costs them money. It cost them money to go and pay for all of that stuff to Google to have their website right up at the top. It was a risk. That's a risk. They're risking people in their church having a backlash, risking the wider community. Certainly the religious people did not like what they did. Like, you can't do that. I mean, porn is bad. How dare you? And they risked what everyone thought of them. It's not polite but they were willing to do whatever it takes to reach a group of people they felt God had laid on their heart to reach. I wonder what it looked like for a church to be desperate to get people to Jesus. I wonder what it looked like for you to be a person who would do whatever it takes this week to make the name of Jesus famous in our city. What, what would that look like? You know, I'm willing to consider anything I just want to put that out there. You can bring any, I don't care how crazy it is, you can bring any idea to us and we'll prayerfully consider doing it. Right? So there you go. Go away. Think of something crazy. Bring it to us and we'll pray about it. And, and, and if we feel God wants us to do that, we'll do it. Because here's the deal. I don't want to be the church. I don't want to play church games. I don't want to be a church full of people that are like the religious guys who sit down the front and are just looking for things to critique and how to catch Jesus. And I want to be the guys outside. We're trying to find ways of getting people to Jesus. That's the kind of church I want to be. It's the kind of church I want Anchor to be. You notice here that these four guys, there is, there is no option for them. There's, there's no like, oh, it's all right, we'll come back tomorrow. We'll wait around. Maybe Jesus will come out. There's, they've got one thing. They, they must get their friend to Jesus. And friends, we've got to turn our want-tos into have-tos. It's not that we want to reach people in the city. We have to reach people in the city. We have to. We have to do it. We need to be willing to do whatever it takes because in the end, Jesus is worth getting people to. He is. He just is. He, he rescues. He saves. He heals. He opens blind eyes. He sets the captives free. He lets the lame walk. He is worth getting people to. Well, he, here is this man. He's, he's lying on the floor. He's looking up at Jesus. The whole crowd is sitting there in silent, anticipating, waiting to see what Jesus is going to say or do next. And this is what he does. Verse 20. Check it out. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. What? Hang on. Sins? I mean, all of that effort, all of that effort of ripping the roof apart and getting the guy on the floor before Jesus and... And sin's forgiven. I mean, has Jesus failed to miss the blatantly obvious here? The guy's paralyzed. He can't walk. He's come here for healing. No, it's not that Jesus didn't notice. Right? It's, 
It's actually that Jesus noticed something else. There was something else that caught his eye and attention that day. Did you see what it was? And when he saw their faith, he saw their, their belief, he saw their trust, he, he saw that attitude that he loves to see in people. And so as this man comes and lies before him, because of that faith Jesus does for this man, what in the end he desperately needs more than anything else in the whole world, and he forgives his sins. Now this guy may be confused, and the friends might be up on the roof feeling a bit ripped off that they've gone to all this effort. But you know, the, the religious guys are furious. Have a look at what it says in verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, as you hear that, you think, well, actually, that's a valid objection. Who can forgive sins? But I mean, surely, if sin is ultimately sin against God and, and I offend God, therefore God is the one who is dishing out forgiveness. I mean, that's his gig, right? And so this objection seems valid. You can imagine that this morning we came in here and as you can see, the setup is not quite usually what it is. We've got this stuff here because there's a production on this week. And, and I came in here and, and Steve had opened up and I was just angry. I was like, you know what? I'm sick of this. I'm sick of all this setup. It's like two and a half hours every week. And me and Steve started arguing. So I just punched him in the face. Just like, bang, punched him in the face and kept punching, broke his jaw, knocked a tooth out, busted his nose up, eyeball hanging out his head. And then I grabbed him and I kneed him in the head and he went down and I'm kicking him, laying into him on the ground. And, and then a couple of minutes later, I've left Steve in a pool of his own blood lying on the floor and Brian rocks up and he's like, oh, Matt, Brian, I, I just want to forgive you for what you did to Steve. And I, I want to forgive you for the eyeball, even though we'll probably never see out of that again. I forgive you for that. And, and that tooth that's going to cost thousands in dental surgery to fix it, I, I forgive you. And you know the broken rib that's punched his lung that means he might die, I forgive you for that. I mean, is that how it works? Of course not. Brian can't forgive me for something that I haven't done to him. Only Steve can forgive me for it. And, and that's, that's the objection that the Pharisees have. Surely sin is against God. And surely God is the only one who can forgive. And so they say, blasphemy. Who is this man who claims to be God? He claims to forgive. He claims to do what only God can do. What Jesus, being who he is, perceives their thoughts. And he asks them a question, a couple of questions. Verse 22, this is what he says. <clears throat> when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? Now, you'd think at that point that, when Jesus read your mind, you would begin to question your position, right? It's kind of like, oh, how did he know that? Right? But no, they, these, these are men are hard-hearted men. And so Jesus comes to them with a question. He says, well, tell me, which is easier? Is it easier to say to this man, your sins are forgiven? Or is it easier to say, get up and walk? You know, it's much easier to say, your sins are forgiven. Because it's not like you can pull back your shirt and go, oh, my sin, it's gone. Right? You, you can't do that because forgiveness of sin is an invisible thing, or at least it is to us. And so it's much easier for Jesus to say to this man, your sins are forgiven because it doesn't require any evidence. If he says to this man, get up and walk, 
Of course, like something's got to happen at that point. So it's far easier for him to say, your sin is forgiven. You know, there are many people in this room and you guys are looking pretty good for a Sunday morning, to be honest. But as good as you guys look, as I look around this room, I can't tell which of you is forgiven and which of you isn't. So it's far easier to proclaim forgiveness than it is to claim healing. But there's something else to notice about these verses here is that the popular thinking of the day was that if you were sick, if you were suffering, it was because there was some form of sin in your life. It was something that you had done that was cause and effect that led to that sickness and suffering. Remember the occasion of um, Jesus' disciples crossing paths of a man who was born blind. This is, this is his disciples, right? It gives you an idea of how these people thought of what their worldview was. And, and they come to Jesus and say, Rabbi, teacher, this man that was born blind, is that because he sinned or because of his parents? See, they had this automatic cause and effect association with sin and suffering and sickness. And Jesus says, well, it doesn't work like that, neither. Now, to be honest, as we, as we look at this story, we don't really know how this man wound up a paraplegic. We don't know if it was because of his own sin and folly and stupidness, or, or it may have just been a result of an accident or some medical condition. We don't really know. But what Jesus does know is that these, these Pharisees, these religious people, they think like that. And so he says, you know what? To demonstrate that I have the right to heal, to, for, to forgive the authority, the ability to do that, I'm going to heal this man. Verse 24, this is what happens. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your mat and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. Jesus corners his opponents here. He corners them. He says, you know what? If, if you think that sin and suffering are linked, and I know that you do, well, let me show you that I can deal with both of those things. And he heals the guy. He's like, what? sorry, blasphemy what? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just healed him. That's what he does. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard the objection that people say, oh, you know, Jesus never really claimed to be God. What do you do with this? What, what do you do with a story like this? Of course he claims to be God. Of course he does. But my question is this. Who, who does that? Like seriously, who can make someone who cannot walk instantly walk? Who has the authority to tell muscle fiber that has been deteriorating and atrophied for years to instantly hypertrophy and have the strength to get up and walk? Like who tells neurons and, and nerve fibers that have been severed and cut to instantly join and begin to send messages from your brain to your body so that, look, who does that? Who has the power and authority to make someone walk? That's, that's incredible. That's astonishing. And if, if Jesus can do that with the body, imagine what he can do with the soul. Imagine what he can do with the heart. You know, while at face value it might appear that it's very simple for Jesus to say your sins are forgiven because it doesn't require any evidence. As you flick through the pages of the Gospel of Luke, you end up finding out what it really cost Jesus to say to that man that day, your sins are forgiven. You get to Luke chapter 23 and Jesus is strung up on the cross. So in the end, the cross casts a long shadow back over every page of the Gospel of Luke. And this 
little event here points forward because Jesus knows that when he says to that man, your sins are forgiven, he knows that in three years' time that that event is going to cost him his life. He knows that, that giving that man forgiveness means that he will be nailed to the cross for that man's sin. And so in the end, it's actually easier to heal. Far easier. Because it doesn't cost Jesus. It's not like Jesus runs out of power to heal. Right? He's, he's healing everybody. But it does cost him his life to forgive. You know, the point of this story is that Jesus stands up and he says, listen, I'm the one. I am the one who can deal with sin. I'm the one who can offer forgiveness because I'm the one who has paid for it. I'm the one who's purchased it. So I can, I can give it to you. It's what this story is about. A couple of years ago for my birthday, a friend of mine gave me um, this bar of soap. It's called the Wash Away Your Sins Cleansing Bar. It says that it is um, easy to use. It's, uh, it's effective for all of the seven deadly sins. Let me read you the instructions on the back. It says, directions for use. Number one, open the box and remove the soap. Number two, engage water supply. Number three, moisten oneself. Number four, lather vigorously. Number five, rinse. And number six, repent. It says that um, for vulgarities, insert in your mouth, scrub, spit out, flush with water, may be harmful if swallowed. And it's, um, it reduces guilt by 98.9% or more, Right? It's a pretty good bar of soap. Now, if only it was that easy, right? If only it was that easy that we could just have a shower and all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our sin would be gone. But it's not. It's not that easy. See, sin is so serious that it would require Jesus to die on the cross for it. And in case we think, well, I'm not really that bad. We need to remember Adam and Eve in the garden. Like how many sins did, it, did they commit to get kicked out? Was it 10,000? Was it, th- it was one, just one sin. And I don't know about your life, but I mean, if I was to count my sins, I'd, like, I'd lose count on my hands in one day. Friends, sin was so serious that Jesus had to die for it to take that away. And so when we live our lives running to functional saviors, running to all of these other things in the hope that they will heal us and restore us and make us feel better about ourselves and get rid of that guilt, what we're doing is we're saying to Jesus, I don't think what you did is good enough to fix me. Friends, what is that thing that you want most in life? I don't know what it is for you. A thing that you think, you know, if I just, if I had that, then I would be happy. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a, a job that you've been pursuing. Maybe it's a course that you want to get. I don't know what it is. You think, if I, can, if I can just get that thing, then I'll be happy. Then my life will be made. I'm not really sure how old this guy is in this story. But let's just say for argument's sake he's 35. It's kind of a good age, I reckon. And um, he enjoys his newfound freedom. He's, I mean, he's got new legs. And so he, he, he enjoys it. I mean, this guy, I don't think he would ever have taken the, the, the lift or an escalator ever again. He's like, I'm taking the stairs. There's evidence that I've got legs that work. I mean, he, he, right? he, he loves it. 
But as he gets older, his legs are subject to aging and deterioration and he's 75 and his legs are now riddled with arthritis. His knees don't work, his hips don't work and, and he's back on his mat and he's, a, he's about to die. He's about to face his maker. Now, what could at that point have been 40 years of great legs, of working legs, if he comes before God with an unforgiven heart? See, in the end, Jesus did for this man what he really desperately needed most, whether he wanted it or not. I remember Jake um, being in hospital and lying in bed before he had ever taken a step. And his mum was sitting on the side of the bed and they were having a conversation. His mum had been involved in church for a number of years and come along with her family, but it really wasn't for her. She, she didn't really feel that um, she needed Jesus. She did, she, I mean, she liked the people at church. She just didn't kind of want to go all the time until her son was involved in a horrific motorcycle accident and it really caused her to question everything. And it caused her to pray like she'd never prayed before. And through that journey, through that process of people ministering to her and her praying and, and really doing business with God, she, she gave her life to Jesus. Not as a way of guaranteeing Jake's healing and forgiveness, but she, she just knew that there was nothing else. And, and Jake and his mum are sitting on, on the bed this day, and, and Jake says this to his mum, and I think this is the most phenomenal thing a 16-year-old kid has ever said, ever. He says this to his mum. He says, Mum, you know, if it took me to break my neck for you to come to Jesus, it's worth it. Are you serious? Like, what causes a 15-year-old kid who's lost everything, like he may never walk ever again, how can he say that to his mum? How, how can he do that without hope of a resurrected body where his legs would work again? How can he do that without a perspective that says, you know what, Jake, there's something more important than walking again, and that's forgiveness. Friends, our, our, our deepest need is that we would have a fresh start with God, that we would have our sins forgiven and taken away. Now, I don't want to minimize your pain and your suffering and, and your hurt. They're, they're real needs and, and Jesus met the need of this man and, and we would love to do that for you in any way that we can. At, at the end, during a time of worship and response, we're going to have some time for prayer. And if you have anything that you would like to come before God with, we would love to pray for you. And we're not going to promise that Jesus will heal you, but he might. And so we're going to ask in bold faith that he would. But here is a promise that Jesus does make. He does promise that when he returns... For those who have had faith in him, he will raise them up and give them a new body. No more pain, no more sickness, no more death, no more suffering. Friends, that's a promise for everyone who has faith in Jesus. That future is on offer for anyone who comes to Jesus and says, please forgive my sins. And it begins with faith. Jesus looked at the man, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you because he saw his faith. You know, the man in this story, this paralyzed man, is a picture of our spiritual condition. He's helpless. What, what does he do? I mean, he can't even get to Jesus. He's got to get four friends to carry him there. 
And then when he gets in front of Jesus, what did he do? Nothing. Jesus did all of it. Forgives and heals. That, friends, that's a, that's a picture of our hearts. Spiritually, we are helpless people. And we never get to Jesus by our effort. We never get to Jesus by our good works, by our righteousness. It's all because of what he has done. That is the good news of the gospel. That's the Christian message. Far be it a message that says, if you're good enough, then, then maybe God will accept you. No, no, this, this is a message where Jesus accepts you based on everything that he's done for you and offers you this. Friends, I don't know what brought you here this morning. I don't know if you were, were dragged here by someone, and, and, and maybe you were. You know, the reason that you were dragged here is because we love you. We, we want you to meet Jesus. We want you to find the hope and the healing and the forgiveness that only Jesus has to offer. And so we're going to respond now to this gospel. And maybe for you, this is a time of saying, I, I, I need this forgiveness. I need Jesus. We encourage everyone to ponder the gospel, to remind yourself of what Jesus has done as we respond in worship and response. We're going to remember that in two symbols, the bread and the grape juice that are at these two stations either side of the stage. Two symbols that represent Jesus' body and blood that was broken and shed for forgiveness of sin. And so we encourage you to do business with God, to pray, to confess sin, to remember the gospel, to rejoice. And then as you feel ready to come forward and dip the, the bread in the grape juice and eat and remember what Jesus has done for you. And friends, if you need prayer for anything, then Brian and I will be in the foyer there and we would love to pray for you. You don't have to pray. You don't have to say anything. We will just pray for you. But I'm going to pray now and invite the band up and we're going to respond in worship right now. Father God, we thank you that you see in us our greatest need. We thank you that you have met that need in sending Jesus, our Savior, to die on the cross for our sin. And Father, we know that that news changes absolutely everything. And so we want to be a church, Lord, who would do whatever it takes to get people to meet Jesus. And Father, we know that so often we run to so many functional saviors, so many other things before running to the foot of the cross. I want to bring those things before you, Father, and repent of them and plead with you that you would turn our eyes to Jesus, that you would lead us to the cross and that there we would find mercy and grace and forgiveness. We pray this in the strong name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.